Andrew McAllister from KickPay's The Next Big Thing. Today we're chatting with Sam Hubner, who's the owner of Parker Baby. As the name suggests, they sell higher-end, fabric-based baby products. We speak about how they prioritise the product development, vet their new manufacturers, and think about user acquisition with the rising Facebook and Instagram advertising costs. So we sell uh, baby products, uh, primarily textiles, um, but we're kind of we kind of start to sell whatever my wife comes up with that might make uh, our lives a little bit easier. Um, and that's kind of how the business all started. Um, back in 2015, uh, my wife and I had twins. I was working in investment banking actually, and we were spending a lot of money on baby products. And um, my wife just, she's always found ways to improve on things and she had some ideas to improve on some of the products that we were buying and using uh, every day with our twins. And um, we started really small and simple and started with some uh, very simple bibs that my wife designed. Um, we improved upon a little bit and then she designed the patterns for them and, and uh, placed a really small order with the manufacturer in um, India who uh, we continue to use today and we've gotten to know really well. Um, and they just kind of took off and um, we continued to put out new designs, um, moved on to a couple of new products. And about a year later, um, I quit my job in investment banking and, and, and pursued uh, Parker baby full time. Um, you know, we've gone, we've, we've gone from those first few SKUs to um, about 45 SKUs today, um, grown our team, from just my wife and I to still my wife and I and uh, one other full-time employee and, and another uh, part-time employee. So um, that's kind of how we all started. We still, uh, our youngest, we, have, we actually have four kids under the age of five, um, our twins being the oldest. Uh, we have a one-year-old boy. And so we're still um, able to come up with uh, product ideas pretty regularly because we're still in the thick of it. And uh, I think that gives us a little bit of an advantage in that we really, we do use every product that we design and sell and we, and we use it daily. In the Thunderdome for R&D. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Um, you were bringing up there like how you're coming up with ideas. And one of the interesting things, I think just kind of looking at your site is all of your products don't seem to have, well, you've got 45 SKUs, but you're not kind of going down the line of, okay, we're having to make different sizes. For example, baby grows, you're kind of steering away from that for a kind of one size fits all. Was that an active choice to keep your kind of SKU count down? Yeah, you know, our, our original goal, and, and we still uh, pursue this to a certain extent, is that our product line would kind of grow as our kids grow. Uh, so, you know, I think originally we we're like, oh, you know, when we're done, when our babies are older, are we going to be able to come up with you know, more product ideas? Um, and, and we've, we've experienced that to a certain extent. Um, we have started offering, um, toddler sized items and we're going to continue to develop some of those as our kids get older and we see needs for products that are maybe similar to baby products that we already have that we can develop um, quickly and easily and easily. 
Um, but it's definitely, um, we're definitely not short on ideas. I mean, we have a, a we still have a laundry list of product ideas uh, that we want to pursue someday. Um, and, you know, fortunately with hiring, um, we've hired some, uh, one of our part-time employees, uh, who managed our customer services pregnant. She's, you know, we tell our employees, all three of them, uh, that whenever they have an idea for a new product, a way to improve a product that, that we're all ears because, um, it's really, you got to stay on top of trends with baby products. Um, and, uh, we're always looking to improve and expand our product line. So that point you actually raised is that you've got a laundry list of different product ideas. How do you actually take that laundry list and say, okay, these are the three we're going to run with this quarter, or these ones, although they're great ideas, we don't think it's right to bring them to market. How do, what's that process look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, we really, it's a combination of things. I'd say one, um, we try to prioritize products that we believe have a larger uh, market. Um, and that's, that's largely just because I, I feel like there's less risk if we're launching a product that uh, is proven to sell maybe by competitors and we know the volumes there. It's a little tricky to estimate that volume, um, but not as difficult as you think when you consider like, you know, my wife will um, be able to tell me if she thinks a product would be useful as a parent or how much a mom would be willing to spend on a product or how many of her friends are using this or would use this. And, um, you know, we have, I wouldn't say our laundry list of products are all home runs and, uh, but we leave everything on there cause that may change. Um, and then I think the next thing we focus on is how quickly are we going to be able to develop this product and how complex is it? Do we have a supplier, uh, that we already use that can make this product? And if we do, um, we kind of put that to the to the top of the list, and uh, you know, and, and depending on who the supplier is, you know, what what is their minimum order? Um, can we get away with a low minimum order and um, develop this product and kind of test the waters? And then if it's a ends up being a home run, can we quickly uh, scramble to make to make more of it? Um, so I'd, I'd say our supplier relationships are really important when we consider new products because um, we've. Uh, we've really developed some good relationships with our suppliers and have a lot of trust with, with them. And, uh, if we're able to, you know, to continue to, to leverage those relationships and develop products quicker, um, we know what to expect with them. Uh, they know how our process works as we develop a new product. They know how, uh, logistically we work. Um, it really allows us to get products to marker to market, uh, quicker and, and more efficiently. On that point of the the suppliers and the constraints there, you know, you said you started off with the one supplier in India, and you've now kind of expanded that. I think you said to China and Cambodia as well. How do you go about vetting your manufacturers? Obviously, you can see what their MOQs are and see if that's within what you need. But are you just waiting for recommendations from other you know people that may use them? Are you getting samples? Are you actually going out there to? Um, see like what their uh, the quality of their goods and actually visit them like face to face how does that work yeah uh that's a really good question and it's uh, definitely a process that has evolved over time uh when i was doing this as just kind of a side business uh we found our first manufacturer on alibaba um 
and uh, the, the guy in India who's, who does our bibs and several other of our products now. Uh, and um, I think we just kind of got lucky with him. He's been super easy to work with. Um, I flew out and visited him face-to-face -face last year for the first time. And, uh, and so that one was one that I feel like we just kind of got lucky on. Um, and more recently, uh, it's been a largely um, just referrals from other people. Uh, we have, uh, we've hired a consultant as a product developer and she has had relationships with uh, factories overseas um, for, with some other brands that she's worked with in the past. And uh, we've been able to, um, to kind of use those relationships to build out some of our products. And, uh, and so that's been great. It's been really efficient. Um, it's always great when you can get, you know, a referral from someone, someone who's worked with the factory, because as you kind of mentioned, um, you know, you don't, you don't really know what to expect when you are interacting via email overseas or, even on a phone call, um, it, it's just, you, you hate surprises in the product development process. And, uh, you know, as you get to know and develop these relationships with suppliers, um, you can minimize those, those headaches, um, you know, and, and further, I, I've, uh, you know, I never expected I would be, be doing this, um, you know, five years ago before I started this, but, um, you know, I, I make an effort to to meet all of our suppliers and visit them face to face so uh we have been to every factory that we do business with and visited them and uh those relationships i think it i think meeting face to face is incredibly important i understand there are people who have never met their manufacturers face to face and and it works for them but i really like to see who i'm doing business with see their operation um, see how they operate, see how they treat their employees. All that stuff is, is super important to us. And, and I think it really, um, is, is mutual. I think they really value those relationships too. When you take the time and, and effort to, to get over and visit them. And I've found that the best, uh, suppliers are really proud of what they've built. They're proud of the businesses they run, um, which is no different from, from how we operate. So, uh, it's been, uh, it's, it's been really important, uh, in our business. And, and I think it's been really valuable. I think what you were saying there is actually pretty interesting on the trust side of things and meeting face-to-face. -face. You see it in sales as well. Um, like as humans, we've only been able to build trust, not face-to-face, i.e. via technology, phone and, you know, um, video calls, like for the past few years in our history. So it's kind of core to us. It's seeing someone looking them in the eye and actually, seeing how they act in different situations when you ask them questions, it's kind of core to how we build trust still. So I think if you kind of lean into that and say, hey, you know, we are just going to make the commitment, it can only be helpful. And mm -hmm. kind of on top of that, if you're getting a recommendation for someone that's already done that, both parties, the manufacturer and the new client, are going to feel automatically like they've got some sort of extra trust rather than just, you know, an emails back and forth cold um so i think that's super important but as you said not everyone does it and that could be a pro or a con for them uh but i, I think for most people would see it as a pro mm -hmm. for sure talk to me about your user acquisition like we've been talking with a bunch of companies lately and they're starting to 
veer away from the Facebook, Instagram user acquisition channels simply because of the cost, especially mm-hmm. around kind of quarter four of the year. Are you finding the same or are you still leveraging those channels a lot? Um, or are you kind of using other channels instead? Uh, I, I think we're definitely feeling the same pressure that uh, everyone else is. And I think the only thing that might be different on the social media side is that we've kind of always felt this pressure. Uh, the baby market um, is pretty saturated on on social media. And um, it's been always been pretty expensive for us to advertise on those platforms. And it's... I, I, it's largely competition based. Um, you know, it's no secret that our target market, um, being moms, spend a lot of time on social media. Uh, so we've really, really in the past year, we've adjusted kind of our priorities and how we're spending our um, advertising budget to to focus more on um, on Google Ads and uh, and. Google product searches, um, you know, we've kind of veered away a little bit away from Facebook ads. We and Instagram ads, we use them a little bit differently than we used to. We use them more for um, for sale language, uh, which we've found found to be more effective than uh, just general branding advertisements. And um, it, it's been tough. It's been a battle, but. You know, that being said, uh, our social media presence is a huge part of our branding and it's a huge part of, um, of how we validate ourselves as a business and how our customers are able to validate us. So uh, we put a lot of time and effort into our social media um, accounts. Um, we use it as a way to engage and interact with our customers. And um, it's something that uh, our team is really good at, and um, it, it's, it is one of the nice parts about having, um, you know, a target market that is so involved on the platform is, is just that it, it gives you another way to interact with your customers and to, to communicate with them and um, as a brand to establish yourself. So it's a little bit different. Um, I, I would say that we've always kind of felt this pressure it's certainly not getting any easier. It's certainly not getting any cheaper. Uh, we just have have had to be a little bit more creative to, to keep it effective. What percentage of your sales do you think now come from like, you know, Google versus organic versus social versus other channels? That's a really, that's a tough question. I, I would have to look at that. Um, I would say in terms of uh, uh, paid um paid traffic uh google is probably at least twice as much as our social media traffic um email has been email marketing has been incredibly effective for us and we're going to spend some time as we've developed an email list over the past four or five years um we're going to spend some time next year really trying to uh focus on optimizing our email marketing um because it is so cheap and uh, we found it to be really effective. So uh, I think we'll start to see our social, me- our social media, um, our sales from social media advertising uh, start to drop and hopefully our, our email is able to pick up on that. With your kind of target market, you're going for your kind of mums, 
Have you found mm. Pinterest to be useful? Everyone, you know, everyone asks us that and recommends that. And we, we do have a presence on Pinterest. Uh, we have tried uh, some, some paid advertising. And what we found is that it just does not convert. And uh, that's something that people had kind of warned me about who have experienced with Pinterest uh is that it's they're just kind of more i you know idea based rather than looking for uh something to purchase or to spend money on or to to you know to really convert so uh we've haven't spent a ton of money on it because when we have it just and we worked with their team for a long time to try to get it to work and it just did not end up being effective for us the conversion rate is just you think that's uh, because of the user base not wanting to convert because they really are at a different point in their journey. Like, hey, I'm just looking for ideas. I'm not really looking to buy something. Or do you think it's the platform that doesn't have the capability? Like they see something they want, but they just can't buy it via Pinterest. That's a really good question. I, I don't think it's the actual platform. I think it really is the user base. I just don't think uh, people who browse Pinterest are... Um, inherently buyers uh whereas you know in google search console or you know obviously on amazon uh you're more likely to be to have that intent to purchase yeah yeah i can see that um roughly what roi are you seeing from your paid channels it really varies um it's kind of in the three to five uh range um, you know, on the low end being social media and, you know, it varies, you know, throughout the year, as you mentioned, fourth quarter, we, we've seen a lot of pressure that's been, um, kind of limiting us on, on the, the ROAS side of things. Um, whereas, you know, email is kind of always pretty steady. Um, and, uh, Google shopping, we have been steadily improving. Um, we have, taken advantage of some um, smart shopping campaigns this year that uh, really took a few months to to get going and the first couple of months were just kind of tough but they've really started to improve and even in fourth quarter have uh, continued to improve so we're optimistic about those going into 2020. Have you had any channels that were a complete flame out? Like you tried it and you're like, hey, we didn't know how it's going to work, but it was awful. Like we're not going back down that road again. Uh, no, we we haven't. Um, I mean, we sell um, we sell on Walmart.com as a third party uh, seller. Uh, it, it's been okay. It was pretty easy for us to integrate with um, with our three PL and with our order management software. So it's pretty seamless and it was really um, uh, just another easy way to, to get some additional sales. We, we dabbled in eBay for a little while, but um, from a branding standpoint, just didn't feel like it was a good fit. Um, Amazon has kind of always been our bread and butter, but uh, is, we've seen a lot more pressure as, as has everyone else uh, recently on Amazon, a lot more competition. Um, and uh, with Amazon, like, I feel it's been this kind of undercurrent for kind of 12, 18, 24 months of 
merchants getting kind of sick of them being kind of second-class citizens to the the people actually purchasing on Amazon. Are you feeling that as well, or do you still feel like it's, a, it's still a great experience for merchants? Uh, man, I I since I've only been in this for four years, I don't know that I would have ever described it as a great experience for merchants. <laughs> it's a uh, it's been serviceable, I would say, and, and you know it's it's hard to complain because we are able to grow our business quickly uh, because of Amazon, because we didn't have to hire customer service right away. We didn't have to, you know, have a warehouse where we were fulfilling hundreds of orders every day, uh, right away. Um, so from that side of things, you know, it's really tough to beat, uh, Amazon, um, as, as a seller from the logistics side and from being able to scale, uh, but they, so I can see why you'd say in the last 12 to 18 months, how that has gotten worse because they just made it very apparent that, um, they're just going to nickel and dime sellers. And, uh, and I, I did feel like there was a fundamental shift right around a year ago to prioritizing, uh, the cheapest items in their, um, in their algorithm. And, you know, that, that was, that's been a tough change for us because, you know, we're, um, an American business and we are not the cheapest. We're not selling direct from the factory. We're not selling the cheapest, um, baby products out there. We are fully compliant with our product safety testing was, which isn't cheap. Um, we hire, uh, we don't hire, um, overseas. We hire everyone here in the U S and so, we have these additional costs and, and um, Amazon has made it very apparent that they're going to prioritize the, the cheaper items. And that's been a tough, tough battle for us over the last 12 months. You've also got the risk that if you are selling a cheap item, that's more of the commodity, i.e. it doesn't have to say the Parker brand around it. It's just a baby bib or something. It's, mm-hmm. it's not differentiated. That if The more successful you are, the more likely Amazon's just going to run in, see your data, and just do Amazon basics of the same thing and prioritize that in the listings, mm-hmm. which, I mean, like, I think a New York Times article or something just came out being like, hey, Amazon's doing this. And you're like, no shit. Like they've yeah. been doing it for ages. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I and I I can't believe people are surprised that they do. Yeah, I know. I I, I feel like Amazon's kind of slowly marching towards this kind of monopolistic aspect that you know Congress could come down on them with the kind of anti uh, uh, kind of competition stuff. But mm-hmm. kind of, it's going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. So there's just so many small things like that. Sure. Um, but of course, you know, Amazon's still a great tool for sales, whether it be FBA and user acquisition and stuff like that. What other tools does Parker Baby use on a kind of semi-frequent basis to kind of keep the company moving forward, whether it be in terms of customer service, finance, fulfillment, um, e-commerce, whatever it is? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I can list a, f- a few that I found have been really effective. We, uh, about six months ago, started using a software called Inventory Planner, and it's, uh, it's a Shopify app. Um, but it's also, it also operates outside of Shop- Shopify and we've been using that because up until recently, frankly, we just haven't done a great job of managing inventory and forecasting sales and, and planning for all that. Um, and, uh, it's been a really effective tool for us to make sure that we're, to, you know, minimizing our stockouts, which as, as you probably know, can be, uh, detrimental on marketplaces like Amazon. Um, we also, uh, recently adopted a customer service platform called uh, Gorgeous, 
G-O-R-G-I-A-S. Um, and uh, we use it for all our customer support for everything from, uh, you know, just our support email to our uh, you know, Facebook messages. We can even use it to comment and reply to comments on our social media platforms. Uh, we use it for live chat on our website. Um, it's been, uh, and it's, it's really affordable for a business our size. So it's been a, a really uh, good tool for us. Um, on the fulfillment side of things, we have been using um, uh, Easy Post for over a year now. And um, we, you know, we had some issues uh, last Black Friday, so 2018, with, with a lot of our, our orders because of the sheer volume that we did on Black Friday last year. Uh, but this year we did uh, even more volume and we didn't have any hiccups this year. So they've really, I think they grew really fast early on and we were kind of um, victims of that growth, but they've, they've figured things out and we've been really pleased with how they've um, been managing the fulfillment for um, for us. So uh, those are three tools that that come to mind right away. So like thinking back to kind of where you were like four or five years ago when you were starting the business, um, what advice would you give to someone who's just about to start it or getting excited about a product and they think they can move forward with it or, you know, in the first few years of getting stuff spun up, like what's the kind of biggest learning points you've had? That is a great question. Uh, you know, this I'm going to be a little biased because I come from a finance background, but it is incredibly important to know your numbers and to have accurate numbers. Um, I'm, I'm amazed at how many small businesses just don't, they not only do they not do a good job of staying on top of their books, uh, they don't know how that all affects the future of their business. And, um, you know, we have early on, I think we did waste money in places that if I had been more diligent about keeping up with our books that could have been avoided. Um, and, you know, really, if you have a good understanding of, of your margins of, of how different decisions will affect your margins, you know, changing a supplier or, um, you know, having downward price pressure on Amazon and, you know, understanding all of these things and how they affect the um, finances of your business, and then also having goals for the for the finances of your business. So, you know, what is your net profit margin goal for next year? What is your sales goal for next year? And, um, you know, if you going to cut back your advertising, how is that going to affect your margins? How is that going to affect your sales? And if, you know, if you are going to see a decline in sales, how is that going to affect your um, purchasing capacity and your ability to get, you know, better pricing on, uh, on your products. So all that stuff, understanding all that stuff, I think it's really hard for, um, entrepreneurs without a finance background to do, because it was hard for me to do as, you know, someone with a finance background. So definitely spend some time learning that side of the business and understanding it and, uh, using the resources that are available to you to, to really, get a grasp on the finances and uh, of your business. I'm Andrew McAllister, and I've been speaking with Sam Hoopner from Parker Baby. 
If you want to get the transcript of this interview, head to blog.kickpay.com. That's B-L-O-G.kickpay.com. dot dot com.